Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Reading is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Jesus taken up into heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Morning everyone, lovely to have you here in the building and indeed with us uh, online. Thank you for joining us. Imagine you find yourself at the bus stop or in conversation with a new colleague at work or as many of us have done over the, uh, the past couple of months on one of those very cold outdoor meals that we have endured for the sake of just a tiny bit of company and someone says to you, tell me your story. If someone says that to you, where would you start? One of the great privileges of, of being in ministry and particularly in coming to a new church is the honour of hearing people's stories. And over the past uh, slightly less than a year, I've met loads and loads of you. One to one, you've told me some of your story. And by the way, there are still plenty of you out there uh, who I know I haven't met and you haven't yet told me your story and I'm looking forward to it, to hearing yours too. But people tend to explain their story by beginning at particular moments. They start perhaps with the moment they move to the area, or the decision to join this church, or they go, go further back, earliest memories, or they talk, start talking about their family history, and so forth. And it's always amazing to think, as I get to share in these stories, that every detail, every personal story is a significant and meaningful part of what God is doing in the world. And yet at the same time, one of the things that happens as you become a Christian is that you realize that you are part of a much bigger story that goes much further back than anything that you remember or identify just in your life. You are part of a story of what God is doing in all of history. You and I have popped up somewhere on some page right in the middle of a great epic, the best, the biggest story ever told. There are many hundreds of pages before now. There may well be yet many hundred pages to go. And to understand what we are to be doing right now, we've got to grasp what's come before and where it's all heading. And I think that's particularly true as we think about this fifth of our six areas of ministry that we're covering in these weeks Outreach, reaching out with the gospel to those who don't know Christ. We're going to be thinking about outreach under three he headings. Why, uh, why we do it, why we witness, how we witness, and then what, we re what response we expect as we witness. And as we do so, I'm praying that our calling to be Christ's witnesses will be deepened. And actually that we will gain a new courage and excitement to be part of God's mission in the world. So first then, why do we witness? 
Well, the passage we just uh, heard uh, read today, thank you, Sylvina, looks back at a key moment in what has come before. It's called Pentecost. And already, what with the, the, the white messengers and the pronouncement, this, this event back in church, the church's history, it kind of feels like something akin to Jesus' birth. And the parallels are no accident. Here at Pentecost, it's like a whole new beginning, a new vital chapter in God's purposes, when the Holy Spirit came. And verse 8 of our passage is Jesus explaining what is about to happen at Pentecost. He says to his disciples, uh, verses 7 and 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now here's the thing. As far as God's history-shaping purposes are concerned, the chapter that began there is still going. We are still in that chapter. And to understand our purpose in this life, we've got to get a handle on what is going on in this part of the story. So uh, indulge me for a moment. We're going to do a quick history of all time, okay, to really get this clear. So the Bible tells how before everything existed, there was God. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God created our world for himself. He set men and women over it to live in harmony with him as their Lord and with each other. And the world uh, was their gift. They were God's gift to one another. And all of that was supposed to be an expression of God's goodness and his glory. But ever since the beginning, the Bible teaches and our experience tells, we, his creation, we've been wanting to go another way. We, we, We have this desire to unseat God from the throne, to deny him that glory, to make this world our own. We turn from his laws, we ignore his presence. And this attitude of rebellion that is in all of us, it pits us against God and indeed drives him against us. And it makes for a turbulent existence here on earth, but even more tragically, it means eternally we deserve his judgment when we meet him. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible also describes how God's commitment to us extends even beyond our rebellion. So 2,000 years ago, God came into this world in Christ. He lived among us. He performed miracles. He taught. He suffered and died. And he did all of that in order that by believing in Christ, we might be spared his judgment. And he proved that was real by rising from the dead. But even that is not the end. Jesus ascended to heaven. We celebrated that recently. And then uh, have a look at verse 10 here in Acts 1. Verse 10 says, They were looking, as the disciples were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So the story goes on. Jesus is going to return. And in fact, if you read on in your Bible, and I recommend it all the way to the very last book, the book of Revelation, you find the most stirring vision of what is going to happen at that moment. As a vision, Jack mentioned it earlier in the interview, of a new heavens and a new earth, and an unnumbered multitude of people worshipping God, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
giving God glory around his throne. That, that's the final scene of everything, the epilogue of the great story of time. Now, we're not there yet, obviously, and, and we don't know how long uh, it's going to take before we get there. But what we do know is that we have a job to do that gets us from the chapter that we are right now to there. Now, follow me closely. Those who, who worship Christ in eternity are those who have put their trust in Christ. But how do people come to trust in Christ? They have to hear about Christ. Now, how do they hear about Christ? Well, that is our job. For 2,000 years, that number of people who have heard of Christ has been growing. It has grown from the handful of people that we were reading about today to, to this. Times a million all the way around the globe today. Jesus at Pentecost turned that tiny little rabble into billions that call him Lord today. And we only know Christ because our forebears have done their job. They have communicated that message to us. That verse again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For 2,000 years, Christians have been following this purpose. They've been witnessing. They've been testifying to the reality of the risen Jesus. They began in Jerusalem where the events in Acts took place. Then they spread to Judea, which is kind of the, the, the next area around. And then they spread further to non-Jewish areas like Samaria. And today, isn't this extraordinary, amazing fulfillment of this verse? The gospel does indeed reach the very ends of the earth. Now just take a moment to think about this. I want you to think back to how you first heard about Christ. Who told you about Jesus? Was it a friend? Um, perhaps it was your parents? God bless Christian families. Perhaps you just came across the gospel through school, chaplaincy. A fantastic way of sharing the gospel. However it was, they were doing their bit. The bit that started in this chapter. And of course it didn't start with them. Just think a little bit further. Whoever it was, your, your teacher, friend, they got the gospel from someone before them. And they got the gospel only because someone before them told them. And so it's been going on for, what, 40 generations? Depends how long people live. Of Christians witnessing to Christ in turn. And so here we are. With a bunch of people who don't look anything like those first disciples that were amassed around Jesus' about to ascend body. All sorts of different people, mostly from different tribes, tongues, and nations than the earliest disciples. And we're still speaking of Christ. We are in the middle of God's great story. And the way the story moves on is as we witness. So that's the first thing I wanted to share with you, the why we do this. Our outreach as a church we do is because this is the chapter of God's story that we are in. We, we are so many things, aren't we, together? We're mothers and fathers. We've got much going on in our lives, friends, colleagues, apprentices, students, grandparents. But over all of those things, we have a job to be links in the chain of the witness to Christ. And I want to challenge you and ask you today, as I ask myself, do you hear that call on your life? Do you believe that you have been given the purpose 
of sharing the good news of Christ. Do you believe that the Lord longs for you to pass it on? We're supposed to be witnesses. But as we go on from there, I guess it's worth thinking, okay, fine, all right, but how do we do it? And I wanted to say three things under this more briefly. First of all, know and tell the gospel. Second, pray for the power. And third, do it together. First of all, know and tell. To witness, to witness involves communicating. You have to be able to communicate information. We need to know and tell the gospel. I wonder whether you ever had that experience. It happens to me quite regularly where uh, a friend suddenly and, and quite unexpectedly turns to you and asks a question that you know gives you a great opportunity to, to speak about Christ. What do, what do you think, Paul? Is there a God? Or, you know, I've just lost all sense of purpose, Claire. I just don't know where my life is heading. And I'm, I'm always praying for those moments to come. But then when they come, it's just so easy, isn't it? You get there and you just completely mangle the moment. And you, you end up saying something completely random or nonsensical or your mind just goes blank. Often, frankly, the better thing anyway is just to listen initially and ask some further questions and understand a bit where the question is coming from. But at some point, we do need to be ready to say something. Say something clear about Jesus. Now, we don't want to beat ourselves up for the moments that we we just don't really know what to say. But it is worth recognizing that we can be helped in those situations. So, to put it bluntly, if I can't explain the gospel to my bathroom mirror it's going to be tricky explaining it to my friend. So, so it's worth having a go. I'm looking forward to you busting your wife, speaking to the bathroom mirror and then coming. Now, how can we do that? Well, perhaps uh, learning a memorable gospel outline uh, is, is a good start. Something like the bridge or two ways to live or ABC. If none of that means anything to you, do get in touch with me. I'd love to speak to you and point you in the right direction. One of the ways of sharing the gospel that I've grown to really love is to, rem- is to learn passages from the scriptures. Uh, so I, I, often I try and share the story of the prodigal son as a way of explaining the gospel. Perhaps you could do that. Another fantastic way of sharing the gospel is to really learn to, to share your own testimony. Tell people your story, but tell them that story in a way that helps them understand that the same law that you know, they can know too. So we've got to know and tell the gospel. Second, how to witness. Pray for the power. I'll be honest with you. Having said what I've just said, the most difficult thing, I think, certainly for me personally, I don't know whether it's like this for you, is not knowing what to say. That's actually pretty straightforward. It's having the courage not to bottle it when I have the opportunity. We may feel so unashamed of the message. We feel like it's not very impressive. We may even feel ashamed of Christ at all, like we'd rather not be known for believing what we believe. And for that, I think there's so much encouragement in this book of Acts. After Jesus' death, you recall that the disciples were a mess. They were a knee-knocking wreck in that upper room. But suddenly something happened. They were transformed. And they became courageous preachers whose words were carried throughout the whole Mediterranean. Now, what was it that changed? Well, it's this moment we're celebrating today. You will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The answer to our struggles for confidence is actually God's power. 
In fact, of all the things that the Holy Spirit does, it seems to be for this purpose, especially that God has given him to each of us. So if, like me, you struggle um, in having confidence in sharing your faith, or just inviting a friend to church, or whatever, or even saying you've been to church the weekend, let me encourage you to pray for God's power. Do, do you pray? Do you get on your knees in the morning and say, Lord, I know what I'm supposed to do today. The issue is I don't really much feel like doing it. It's a bit challenging. Please, can you give me courage like you gave those apostles at the beginning? Pray for power. And then thirdly, do it together. No one tell. Pray for power. And do it together. They say, don't they, um, that if, if you don't have vision, find someone who does and follow them. Well, I've increasingly in, in my life taken similar advice for witness. The best thing, if you struggle witnessing, is to find people who are good at it and join them. We're all different. And that's the glory of doing evangelism together. Some of us are Peter-style evangelists. We shoot straight. We shoot hard. Other people are Paul-style. They're given to reasoning out the faith. Some of us are more like the blind man in John 9. You know, there's, there's this lovely verse. It's all about personal testimony. He says to, says to the teacher of the law, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Some of us are, are that kind of evangelist. And some of us are, are a bit like the woman at the well. with sort of come and see evangelists. Let, let me, you come along. You, you come and come to this thing and you hear more. And the wonder of the church is that it contains all sorts of types. The person that I'm going to be no help for in sharing the gospel, you might be just the one. You might be the one who can persuade them. And indeed, we can do much more together, can't we? We can put on Alpha courses and Christianity Explored courses. We can do all sorts of bigger things that demonstrate the gospel, youth ministry, looking after vulnerable or those with additional needs, just being welcoming and kind to those who come in. All of that speaks volumes. So think of that friend with whom you would love to share Christ. How could you bring others into that conversation? How could you do it together? So, uh, know and tell. Pray for the power. Do it together. And finally, just a word about the response. What response will we receive as we do so? Well, we need to understand that... Just as when the disciples, the first disciples, went on from this moment in Acts, carrying the gospel far and wide, they found great hunger for the message of Christ, and at other moments, hostility. And the same will be true for us. As we share the gospel, we will encounter both hunger and hostility. We will encounter hunger. In our increasingly untethered world, swirling with strange information, People are longing for truth and calm, and we have it in Christ. People are looking, aren't they, for integrity in public life, but it's so hard to find, and yet it can be found in Christ. We live in a culture of addiction, of, of plenty but no satisfaction, and in Christ there's fulfillment. There are grinding worries about meaning around us. There are people running frantically in the hamster wheel of existence. And it's not a great deal of fun, but it's just so terrifying to think about ever getting off that no one does. And Jesus can free us from that. 
People wonder about eternity. Jesus has got an answer to that. People are tortured by negative body image. They can know that they've been created in God's image. People wonder what to do about sin. Yeah, they still do. I remember having a striking conversation about pilgrimage with our Muslim neighbor when we were in Rains Park. He said, I've got to do the Hajj. I've got to go deal with all my sin. Kingsley Amos, shortly before he died, he says, to know that you can be forgiven your sins, that must be a wonderful thing. I carry my sins around with me. There's nobody to forgive them. Our culture is hungry. And yet there is also hostility. We're likely to encounter some kind of opposition. We're hopefully, God willing, not going to get the beatings and imprisonments the apostles face, but sometimes the message will cause offense. And let's be honest, even as Christians, we, we bristle when the Lord challenges us. So it may be challenging as we share the good news with others. It may be subtle, it may be open, but at some stage we will feel rejected if we share Christ. Now, what are we to do with this? Of course, let's be clear, just getting rejected is no badge of honor. It's no proof that we're doing our job. And yet I think for most of us, at least speaking for myself, the danger is kind of the the other end. We think that if we are rejected, we must be doing something wrong. And that can sometimes mean that we don't speak about Christ because of fear. But the thing is, there will sometimes be hostility. And actually, that's not the end of the world. And in fact, if you've been a Christian a while, it's worth registering that sometimes hunger sits curled up in a little ball of hostility around it. And sometimes the most skeptical, the most outspoken critics can also be the most earnest seekers. But we expect both hunger and hostility. And with courage and confidence, we press on. But as we close, let's go back to where we started. Each of us has a, has a story. But we're part of a much bigger story. The story of the purposes of God in which he's longing to reach the world with the gospel. We're living in that chapter called Witness. So let us, as we seek to balance our lives as a church, live out that call to reach out to all with the gospel. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.